Hi folks, just a quick heads up before this podcast begins that some of our song picks do contain explicit language, so if you want to play this to elderly relatives or at children's parties or at a work presentation, uh, just know that you have been warned. Other than that, it's another awesome one with uh, Michaela Groyler this time, so enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, and welcome back to Testers Island Discs. Uh, it's episode 32, and I'm joined by Michaela Groyler. Uh, Michaela is our first guest with a PhD, or at least my first guest uh, with a PhD. I don't know if Neil ever spoke to anyone. Um, but very excited to talk about that. Um, but not just that, she also helps teams to build high quality software and she runs workshops on code reviews. She's also a fellow podcast host and has her own podcast at uh, softwareengineeringunlocked.com, which I'll definitely be linking to. Um, and she's not just traveled, but she's actually lived all over the world, um, which is definitely interesting as well. Uh, welcome, Michaela. Hi. Hello. I'm really happy to be here. It's going to be good. Lots of stuff to talk about for sure. Um, yeah, so you've lived all over the world. Where, whereabouts have you lived? Yeah, well, so I'm originally from Austria and then I lived in London for some time. Then I moved to the Netherlands. I did my PhD in the Netherlands. Then I moved during the PhD already um, to Canada. Then I moved back. Then I moved to the UK. Then I moved to the US, then to Canada, then to Germany. <laughs> Wow. And um, yeah, oh, I forgot that in between I was also in the UK again. I was in Cambridge. Um, and uh, yeah, and now I'm actually since uh, one and a half years, I'm in Austria again. And yeah. Oh, settled back at home. Well, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I'm settled, <laughs> but <laughs> taking a break. <laughs> Get the itchy feet again soon. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, now I'm doing more this, you know, I'm traveling to places and stay there and work there because I work remote. So um, I'm going actually end of the month, I go to uh, Canary Island and um, oh, I'll nice. be there for a few weeks uh, working in the sun because here it's cold. So yeah, that's the smart move. Um, so yeah, I'm always curious. Um, I imagine uh, people who have PhDs get asked this question quite a lot. But can you tell me a little bit about what you did in your PhD? Because I'm always interested to hear what people are working on. Yeah, so uh, during my PhD, so it's a PhD in software engineering, and I did empirical software engineering. So I was using data, was using um, yeah studies, were doing studies to really understand how people are developing software, what's helping them. And my focus was on comprehension. So how do people understand software and how can we increase their understanding? How can we ease the job of understanding the software and also tests. So I worked, uh, I did a lot, uh, a lot of work in testing. So for example, one of the tools that I built, I also built a lot of tools, was that extracted um, the test from the tests. If you execute the tests, right, you, then it extracts from the execution path. It extracts a model that helps you visually understand what your tests are covering from the systems. You're maybe where you know there are some areas that you haven't focused on, maybe some of the integrations that you haven't tested. And um, yeah, so that was, why, for example, one tool. I also did more qualitative work. So I was, for example, working with people, with developers and testers in the Eclipse community, which is an IDE and also a platform around that. And I tried to understand how they are in 
how they are testing the integrations because Eclipse is a plugin system, so you have different versions. And so I really wanted to understand uh, why they are testing in a certain way and what problems they are facing and how those problems can be overcome. So that was another another area that I worked. Well, the, the problem's easy, just use IntelliJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might, might be slightly biased. Nobody there. said that, actually. They should have hired me. So you hit a couple of buzzwords there, which is uh, models and tools, um, which are stuff that Richard and I like to talk about quite a lot in AIT. What sort of, like, what do, you, what do the models look like that come out of the tools that you build? Well, first they are just data, right? And then they are visualized in several ways. So for example, for these um, test execution models, right? So you would look at the, the, the test executions and then I would abstract a lot of the data and just, you know, keep um the shell i would say maybe and the most important stuff everything else goes away and then i visualize that and mostly of the uh, so most of the time for that one was graphs so graphs that somehow visualize the data and you know you had errors that were showing you know where are the integration some of the errors were maybe red indicated um something you know is missing there or you know the thickness of the arrow could indicate how 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 many tests have covered that? So yeah, I just use different visualization techniques to yeah help people understand that. And also, this was always a study, so I try to understand is it even helpful, right? Or could we you know visualize it in a different way? Even though the visualization part wasn't my main focus, my main focus was really the model behind and is the information interesting? And then so people could actually go to whatever, you know, maybe it's a, it's a spreadsheet that I'm generating or it's, you know, a JSON file or whatnot and look at the data. But then in one way or the other, obviously I had to visualize it and see if, if that makes sense for people. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of like visualizations of models as well. Um, so taking advantage of and kind of almost misusing some types of sort of standard models um, for your own purposes as well. So I'd, I like to do a lot of sort of, you know, drawing, like talking about integrations and stuff, like drawing lots of boxes mm-hmm. of things and connecting them together. But that tend, I tend to do that sort of more in a, I say, manual sort of means. Mm-hmm. So I may, that may be pen and paper, but it might be with a tool. But I've never really considered um, the idea of, yeah, like using your automated checks to help you better understand your system and having models come out from that as well. I think yeah. that's quite cool. Yeah, the problem with, with the graphs mostly is that if you have really large systems, you have a lot of nodes, right? You have a lot of connections. Yeah. So they become um, very hard to comprehend again. And so yeah. then again, you have to think about, okay, what's really important here, right? So I think that especially the visualization part really helps you to think about the system in a different way. So how can you abstract? How can you collapse maybe some of the things? So some of the nodes actually comprised other nodes, right? So people could zoom in and then zoom out and things like that. And I think it really helped um, understand your software system and your tests in a very different way, get a different view on on your system. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, uh, yeah, like abstraction is is really important and getting the right level for, for your needs because, yeah, getting too sort of uh, bogged down in the weeds having too much detail can become overwhelming or distracting but then you know sometimes we sort of rich and i have said like you know to start off a model all you need to do is just draw two boxes a front end and a back end mm-hmm. which is a great place to start but not necessarily something that's going to give you lots of information in the first place yeah that's true yeah one thing i like to, uh, another thing just 
talk about models as well as I like to talk about um, the idea of pointability. So like, the, like how much does it encourage people to point at the model and go, that's right, that's wrong, or basically re- reveal more information as well. Um, and I think that's a good guide to tell you whether or not a model is working for you or not. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the model is actually how useful is it, right? It's always an abstraction. It's always wrong in in one hand, right? It, it's never the reflection of the reality. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an abstraction. So the question becomes, is it useful for what you are intending it to be useful, right? So yeah. that's how you measure the value of a model. So I assume you sort of had some sort of output, some sort of thesis written up. Yes. For that. Yeah. Uh, would you be comfortable with me sharing that? Oh, yeah, uh, in, sure, sure. In the resources? Um, yeah, oh, cool. yeah, that sounds good. Sure. Yeah, definitely like to have a read of that myself, and I'm sure some other people will be interested as well. Cool. Well, um, I think probably that's about time for us to start talking about uh, your song pick. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, song number one from your choices? Yeah, so the first song is called Little Lion Man from Mumford & Sons. And I really, really love that song. It's a song that um, was very influential during the time that I moved to the West Coast and um, that I also uh, spent a lot of time traveling with my husband. So we were traveling through the US on the weekends and, you know, we took some weeks off. And so we had like long road trips around the West Coast and Canada. And yeah, we played a lot that song. So it's uh, I have very I have a lot of uh, very wonderful memories uh, that are connected with this song. For yourself, my man, you'll never be what is in your heart. Weep, little lion man, you're not as brave as you were at the start. Rate yourself and rake yourself, take all the courage you have left. And waste it on fixing all the problems that you made in your own head. But it was not your fault but mine. And it was your heart on the line I really fucked it up this time Didn't I, my dear? Didn't I, my That was Little Lion Man by Mumford and Sons. Uh, so, Michaela, you're joining us uh, for Test Bash Brighton. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your talk? Don't necessarily have to give everything away, but give us a little taster yeah i'm really excited uh for that one i heard so many good things and actually i was uh following rosie and her, her journey in the testing community already during my phd so it's several years that i followed that that community but i haven't been uh, an active part in it right so i'm really really excited uh, to finally join so this is your first test bash it's my first test bash yeah oh, fantastic I'm, I'm really excited about that i love a great time so um, I will talk about um, reducing the time that it takes to run automated tests. And I will talk about a strategy, an approach, a technique that I developed uh, with colleagues at Microsoft that actually was also patented and um, that helps to reduce the time of the test execution by reducing test cases, test uh, executions, but without sacrificing code quality. And so there are some fundamental ideas behind that. One is that, well, now that we are all moving into, you know, more frequent releases, shorter release cycles, the time that it takes for a test suite to run 
stays the same, right? So if you're not reducing the amount of your tests or you make them faster or whatnot, the time that it takes the tests to run stays the same. And for some of the large systems, especially at Microsoft, um, where we have really, really large systems like Office, Windows, and so on, this is a significant amount of time. And even with smaller companies that I work with, if a test suite runs for, let's say, half an hour, that slows down your productivity. So the question becomes, how can we how can we reduce the text execution time while also ensuring that we keep the same quality, that we are not, you know, that we are not opening ourselves up to bugs and defects and things like that. And so we built a cost model. The whole idea is based on cost and on kind of cost model. So there is nothing, it has nothing to do with, for example, test coverage. We would, would say, well, you know, if a test covers this line of code and another covers the same, we are maybe reducing it. No, it's only based on costs. And I think that's the really interesting parts on it because it helps you think and reason about your testing problems and your test suite and your system in a different way. So we said, well, um, if we find a test, uh, or if, sorry, if we find a defect at a certain time, right, the costs that are associated with fixing that defect really depend on when do I find it, right? So for example, the longer um, the, the bug is undetected and the closer it goes to production, or even it is in production, the more expensive it is to find that defect, right? Or to fix that defect. And so we built a model again, you know, that somehow considers all the different cost aspects. This is just one, but there are different cost aspects. And then weighs that with the costs of running the test. So we also estimated the costs of running the test. And the cost of running the test would be the time that it takes to, for example, run the test, but also, for example, if it's a flaky test, so an undeterministic test where we don't know what's the outcome and maybe people have to manually investigate and see, you know, is it a false positive or is it a true positive and things like that. So we assigned all those different costs to that. And so you have actually a, a thing where you say, well, a cost, a, this test, you know, costs me so much to run. And the the probable benefit that I get from it is another cost. And then we weigh it up and we say, well, if one is higher than the other, right? So if the cost of running this test is higher than the costs that we uh, incur when we, you know, miss a bug by that test, then we would skip it, if that makes sense. <laughs> was a little bit a long uh, description for it. I think it's better if I have visualizations and everything. Uh, so it will be uh, clearer, I think, at this bash. <laughs> it, it plugs into uh, something that I sort of talk about quite a lot, again, with, with automation testing with Richard and something that's sort of been mentioned a few times on this podcast and stuff with, with things like um, intent. Um, and, you know, if you if you don't know what the purpose is of your automated checks, if you don't know, you know, why you're running them and what value you're getting mm -hmm. them from them, then, yeah, then why are you why are you spending time? Why are you spending money on them when really you should be considering, you know, removing them or making them more targeted or just generally having a conversation about, like, how to get some value out of them? in the yeah. correct way. So it's interesting. I, I'd be interested to hear some of the other factors as well that you, yeah. you sort of consider. It's very, very aligned to what you said. It's really just, you know, you're looking at the test in a different way, right? You're not looking at, oh, eventually that will find a bug or, you know, it's covering that part of the system. That's why I have to keep it. But you really try to understand. And this 
the, the important part here is, is the self-adapting strategy. So it learns from the past. So we look at past executions to estimate the behavior, you know, um, from, from this test in the future. And so over time, a test can be more important or less important, right? More valuable, less mm-hmm. valuable. And, and that really changes with, for example, the parts of the system that you are changing right now. So um, it could be that I'm just uh, changing something in one part and I'm still running all the other tasks, right? Which has, a, again, a little bit to do with coverage again, um, but it's it's differently reflected in that model. And then you would obviously not, you know, get so much value out of those tests over there. Or you're doing a cer- certain change, right? So it, as I said, it has a lot to do with um, non-deterministic behavior. So it could be that some of the changes that you're doing triggering more the undeterministic behavior of some of the tasks than other changes that you're performing. And so in that situations, mm-hmm. running those tests wouldn't really make sense because it, they are just too costly, right, to run them. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so you're getting some sort of diagnosis and health check out. Mm-hmm. So you're not just seeing that it's, it's failed a bunch of times for, for intimate reasons. You're actually getting some of the root causes of why that might mm-hmm. be occurring. Oh, that's that's very cool. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to seeing the talk and yeah, sounds good. There's also a paper that you can, if you want, you can link there. Um, oh, that cool. describes yeah. the whole approach for people that like to read academic papers. <laughs> 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 I don't know, there are so many, but you know, for the really curious one, oh, this is yeah, this is going to be quite <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot hard reading, listeners. Um, you <laughs> okay, know, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to crack on with it and sit down and do some proper reading. There'll be no YouTube videos this time. <laughs> No, there aren't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, actually, yes. Let's uh, let's move away from uh, the, the the hardcore testing stuff and uh, let's talk about um, your second song. And um, yeah, why don't you share a bit about it? Yeah. So it's called "Crazy" by Lost Frequency, and I think it's a very well known song. Um, I think it's a really powerful song um, because it just reminds me on focusing inwards and not giving too much about what others think, right? So, well, follow your heart and, and, you know, be kind to the people in your life and that's it, I think. Yeah. So that's why I like it. Oh, Lord, hear me turn these words into a song For them to sing along to when I'm gone For them to sing along to when I'm gone Let me be the one to set him free I will give him every part of me Put my heart where everyone can see They can call me whatever they want Call me crazy You can call me whatever you want But that won't change me I just don't care what the world says I'm gonna make it They can call me So what if I am crazy? That was Crazy by Lost Frequencies. Um, so I mentioned at the start of the podcast um, and sort of seen on your site that you do quite a lot of workshops. Um, what, what are you focusing on uh, in your workshops? Yeah, I really love workshops that's one of my favorite things to oh, do yeah, me too me too um i focus on code reviews so everything around that what are people what should people 
focus on during code reviews a lot um, about the processes in their companies, you know, what's working, what are the pain points and how can uh, those pain points be overcome? Also how to give feedback, you know. So I really love code reviews because it's a social, socio-technical um, practice, right? So it means that has a lot of technical aspects to it, but there is also a lot of social aspects to it. For example, how do we communicate with each other? How do we ensure, a, you know, a productive feedback um, culture, right? How how can we be kind to each other? Um, and then, but also, you know, if I see that Java code, what should I actually look at, right? So what should hmm. be my feedback? And um, um, yeah, so I give a lot of those uh, workshops at different companies and uh, help them to overcome up some of the pain points, for example, large reviews, long review times, you know, maybe they don't get the feedback back that they are actually, you know, anticipating or that they wish for. So there isn't a lot of value in the feedback. Maybe it's harsh feedback, something like that. So I look in the workshop, I look at all those different pain points and try to figure out, you know, for that company, for those teams that I work with, what are the main pressing issues here? And also what are the root causes? Because there are also at the time there are real one or two or three root causes that you can identify and then work on those. So, and I really like it because you can see when you're working with a group of people, you can see how they, you know, respond to the things, how they, you know, start to think about it. I always do a lot of interaction and they have like exercises to work on. And yeah, it's really nice. It's nice that you are there with them and you see how positively they, they you know, react to it. So, so your sort of attendees, because code reviews, typically when you talk about code reviews, um, it, you immediately think about sort of two developers having a conversation, um, or in my case, usually two developers having an argument. <laughs> but do, do you find like your attendees are primarily developers or do you try and encourage like other members of the team to get involved in this? And um, So in the workshops that I run so far, people normally self-assign themselves you know so they they voluntarily attend my my workshops so companies mm -hmm. you know ask people if they want to participate and i see that most of them are developers there are some um, testers or quality people in there um, quality assurance related uh, folks there but mostly they are testers or you know uh, sorry, mostly they are developers. Would you like to see more testers sort of involved in that stuff? Because I, I've seen some people talk about like the value of having testers involved in code reviews, but there's still that sort of stigma and there's those biases involved that sort of prevent testers from getting involved. No, I think it would be very valuable. I think that more people should uh, be part of, in code reviews, but it also means that you know, the focus of the review is completely different. So for example, for my workshops, I definitely think right now how I designed them, right? Um, it's it's based on the fact that most of them are developers uh, because that's how, you know, th that's how I focus on delivering value to them. I think as soon as you're bringing other people in, right? Like testers, it could be also accessibility uh, experts, security experts. The focus of your code review should and must change which is a good a good thing, but I think um, the the workshops for testers are different, right? So, hmm. and also for teams that you know are really diverse, I think it's a very good thing. But then each of the persons should understand really what their 
you know, again, what's the value that they are providing? What's the value that they are getting out? And I see that also with the, with, you know, the workshops that I do with mainly developers. If, for example, they have cross-team code reviews, right? They mm. aren't 100% sure why they have that. Or, you know, is this the same code review that I have with a person on my team? Right. And it's not. It, it's something else. The people should look at something else that's happening there. The The goals are different. The approaches to review the code are different. And I think if you are start, you know, if you have just one idea of how a code review works and looks like, then that's that's when you're running into troubles. And so, yeah, I think that testers should definitely be part of the code review process, but that they should understand also what their role there is, right? So it's, it's almost like, a, you know, too many cooks uh, spoil the soup sort of thing. It's that, you know, having having those perspectives are, are useful, but having too much might create like quite a lot of noise and maybe add drag to getting things through. Is that, is that sort mm, of no, I No, I wouldn't say. Um, I would rather say, let's, for example, um, let's have two different examples, right? One is, for example, a tester. If you ask a tester, then the question is, which feedback do you want from the tester? And probably that person shouldn't look at, you know, the naming of the methods, you know, or right. is the code actually readable to them? Um, it's not that it's not valuable for them to have a say in that, but is that really what you that you want the tester to focus on? Or is there something else, right? Maybe they should look at validation of the code and uh, um, corner cases, right? Maybe they have a better understanding, you know, how the system is actually used by their users. What are some of the pitfalls? So this is the part that the tester should actually look look at uh, the code review the ah, I see. with cross team validation right so if you have if you have a, a person from another team that isn't familiar with that code should that person really understand each line that you changed here is that what they look like again are they looking at how you name your variables hmm. or you know is the reason why you ask them because they are using the API that you just rewrote, right? So mm. they will have a different view and they should also only slice that. I think you should be very focused and very intentional again with what do I want to get out? And this is the person that asks for the review, right? Or the team, it's normally always also team culture and the organization has to understand that. But why do I ask that person to be on my review? What do I want to get out? And then be crystal clear about that. And put also that person in a position where they can add value, right? If you ask the tester about, I don't know, maybe the, the performance of that code piece, I'm not sure that they can really help you. But if you ask them about, you know, corner cases or, you know, maybe, oh, maybe I only thought about the happy path, you know, <laughs> can you yeah. help me understand, you know, what are some of the pitfalls here? I think then you're getting really value out. And then the time that they spend on that review is... Uh, worthwhile but also you have to understand how can you put them in a place that they are able to give that feedback right so is it the code that they have to look at um, is it maybe you know do you have to give a different description of the code review of the code change uh, so that they really understand what's going on here so yeah i think that in general it's about what's the value that i want that person to provide and how can i set them up for success that's that's the two questions that you have for, to ask for everybody. It doesn't matter if tester, you know, front end, back end, whatever, developer. Excellent. So those those are good sort of principles to help guide your code reviews. That awareness of what value each member of the team 
um, delivers to the team in general and then like how you could actually sort of put that into your code review process. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to talk more about code reviews with you, but uh, unfortunately uh, we should uh, move on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your next song pick? Yeah, so the next song is Somewhere Over the Rainbow from Israel Kamakuole. And it's definitely another feel-good song for me um, because no matter how stressed out I am or how sad I am or what happened on that day, if I listen to that song, I, I'm smiling and it really recharges my batteries. So that was Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Israel Kamakowole. Um, so you do the workshops, uh, you focus on code reviews, but you also uh, work with teams as well. Um, what sort of work are you focused on there? Yeah, I work with several product teams and the main focus is always on, you know, making them more productive with and effective with the you know, tools that they have, the processes and practices that they have. So I look at different aspects like build, test, code reviews, as we already discussed, and also coding. And I, you know, for example, at Microsoft, different teams would have, you know, they would struggle with something or they would uh, try to, you know, improve their productivity, their effectiveness, for example, for the build process. So again, if we think about, you know, um, this this shift left somehow where we try to be uh, faster, have faster release cycles, you know, um, be able to release maybe multiple uh, times a day. Then also the build, for example, of a software system, of a huge software system can, you know, be so impactful that you cannot, you know, just you cannot release several times a day, for example. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so I, for example, work with teams at Microsoft um, my team was responsible to helping them reduce the build time. So we are, instead of having the traditional build system, we built a new build system that was cached and distributed. So parts of the build, of the build graph could already be reused. And so, yeah, that, that's, for example, I worked, for example, with Office to understand them, how many machines do they need, um, you know, what's the optimal load balancing of their, you know, build graph? How can we maybe change the architecture? That's another question, you know. How can we change the architecture of their system that they would have uh, improvement in their build performance, right? So because if you are relocating and re-architecturing some of the parts, then some of the code parts, you know, churn together. And um, if you break up the build dependencies, for example, you could increase, you know, by a factor of something, your build uh, speed. Mm. So that was one thing. I also worked on testing. So we had something like cloud test. And again, there we looked at different aspects. How can we 
just make teams more productive and efficient. And that's really based on on data that we gathered. So we looked at the test executions, looked at some of the you know main uh, <clears throat> main offenders of the tests. What are the reasons? You know, we built. Um, tools and methods to understand the health of test systems, of test suits, or of build and, and, and the artifacts there. And yeah, just really helping teams to understand what's going on there and how can they be more effective? How can they you know, improve what they are doing? Yeah. So this is not just necessarily focusing on tools. I know you, you mentioned quite a few uh, different sort of implementations, but I, I assume that's kind of like the some of that is the end result of working with a team at, at large and understanding their context and their way of working. Yeah. So for that, we so I normally um, use a very rich and uh, combined method. So it's really qualitative methods where I, for example, observe teams, I sit with teams, I see how they work, right? And then we understand patterns out of that. And then you also have the qualitative, uh, quantitative side where you, for example, look at the data. Um, so the, the good thing is that all of the tools somehow leave traces, you know? So for example, code reviews, you have the mm. code review data somehow stored. So the question is, how can you actually plug that in and extract information from there? The same for the test uh, systems, right? You have the tests, you could um, understand what the tests are covering with, with coverage reports, but there's so much more that you can do, right? You can understand the test executions, you can understand. And so, for example, you see teams and you see some friction points in their in their workflows. Then the question comes, how can we, you know, improve their experience? And um, yeah, that's what I did. Cool. So I imagine you're working with a, a few teams at the moment um, on sort of improving those uh, processes and practices. Um, if someone was interested, how would they get in touch with you about that? Well, um, they can write me an email uh, or, you know, go via my my website. There's also a contact form. You can also find me on Twitter. Cool. So I'll, I'll drop a link in the references to your website. And if uh, yeah, people want to get in touch, they can get in touch. That sounds cool. Cool. So that, that brings us along to um, your next song. So uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's called I Don't Care As Long As You Sing by Beatstakes. And well, this song reminds me about not giving up. So even if it feels something feels hard or things can be tough, and then sometimes you might feel that you're losing a lot, it somehow, you know, it's it's for me this minimalistic mindset as well that we could leave everything behind and we're still happy. So 
so that was I Don't Care As Long As You Sing by Beatstakes. Uh, so, Kaylee, you have your own podcast, um, so you're a suffering host like myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like it. I really like it. I wasn't, um, I wasn't sure, you know, if I would like it at the beginning, but I love it. I really love every bit of it, yeah. I'm I'm all for sort of promoting other people's podcasts and you know there's so many awesome ones out there so why don't you like tell us a little bit about it um what do you focus on yeah so this podcast really came out of my curiosity for how teams work um and as we talked a little bit about I worked with many many teams at Microsoft but I wanted to see more uh, teams all over the world right are people developing software you know in different ways in, for example, Europe, then in the US. And, you know, if, uh, you know, what are the practices of small teams or are the practices of large teams? And even though I work with some of uh, some of teams, you know, there are only so many teams I can work with. So I thought, well, why not, you know, get people on my show and ask them about how they develop software, you know? And so I talk with developers all over the world, mostly developers or, you know, um, people that are involved in um, really developing software. And I asked them, you know, about their software engineering practices. Do they do code reviews? Uh, do they have automated tests? How does uh, testing look? Maybe they have like manual testers there as well. Um, I asked them about their company culture as well, the team culture, you know, what sticks, what, what um, stands out to them for that. And uh, yeah, and also about their journey normally in, in tech. So how did they get into that role? I'm also always interested in hiring practices because I'm super terrified of interviews. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I always want to know, you know, how did you get into that job? You know, how did you, you know, what do you have to do? I think it's also a really interesting information for many people, how to get or secure a job at a certain company and what mm. obstacles people have, have, you know, to overcome or what does the interview process look like? And I also think that if we raise a little bit of awareness of that, maybe the interview process will be less cruel, especially in the, in the tech space. So yeah, that, that's our, that are some of the, the questions that I ask my, my guests. Who, who have you had on? You got any notable guests? I had some really cool people already. So I started off actually with two really um, little bit VIP people. Um, uh, Scott Hanselman um, definitely is a VIP or I would consider him a VIP, right? So he was on my show and talked with me about how he got his remote job at Microsoft, which you know, that's, um, I think many people would like to understand that. Mm. And then I also talked to Cassidy Williams, which is also really super famous on Twitter. Um, she's super funny and uh, makes a lot of tech jokes. And I talked uh, with her about, you know, how that whole started with her tech jokes. And also she talked a lot about uh, fulfillment, you know, how she finds fulfillment in her yeah, career and that people have to understand where they actually want to head towards to you know, to really go in the right direction, something like that. Yeah, and there were a bunch of other really cool uh, people on my show, and uh, I have a, a big lineup as well. So there will be a try hunt soon, and then everyone off. So yeah, I'm really excited about what 2020 brings for my podcast. Brilliant. Well, yeah, listeners, definitely go check out uh, Michaela's podcast. Sounds like it's uh, a wealth of information, some interesting uh, guests as well. 
Okay, cool. Well, I think we're coming to the end of this podcast. So um, I think we've got your final song to pick. So when you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's called Rise Up by Ease Lerock. And well, for me, it's a reminder that we should never stop dreaming and take things less serious. And I think that often just breathing in and out is all it takes, right? Going, go out, see nature. Um, that I think that really energizes us. So I'm a big fan of minimalism and minimalistic lifestyle. So somehow for me, this song shows exactly that or expresses that. And uh, also with the lyrics, they are very minimalistic, as you will hear. <laughs> so yeah, I like it. was Rise Up by Yves Laroc. So, um, Michaela, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'd love to just chat more about automation and uh, code reviews and stuff. Um, but I think maybe we'll have to wait until Test Bash and uh, we'll, we'll get together so. and, and have a proper catch up then. Um, so that's pretty much it for the podcast. All that's left for you to do is to select your book. What's going to be your book that you're going to take to the island with you? Yeah, um, it would be one of the books from, uh, it's a saga actually, about the two women that are moving to New Zealand and they are actually getting married there, not completely voluntarily, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, and they somehow bond, even though they are in very different, you know, classes, you know, one is very rich, the other is poor and so on. And they get through, you know, quite hard times when they find out that their husbands are not not really nice people to hang around, <laughs> something like that. Mm. And it's called um, In the Land Over the Long White Cloud. And I really like it because it is, it has a lot of descriptions about New Zealand, a lot about the nature, so I can really dive in and be there. Um, the fantasy novel, I think, with a lot of true parts around the Maori, which is the, the people that are originally um, from New Zealand. So it's by Sarah Lark. Excellent. Cool. Well, we'll um, we'll add that to um, Goodreads, and um, also add all of your um, songs to the Spotify playlist, which will all be linked in the uh, references below. Um, obviously, you're speaking at Test Bash, but do you have any other upcoming events um, this year, other than obviously the stuff you're doing your podcast as well? Yeah, I have a few uh, conferences that I will present. Uh, one of them is, for example, NDC in Porto. That we'll talk about code reviews. And yeah, and also during the year, but I'm I'm not too much traveling. Well, like I say, again, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, if you want to become a guest on uh, Testers Island Discs, then um, then we have a Google form that you can fill in. Again, linked to in the references. Um, but uh, that's it for this podcast. So it's uh, goodbye from me and goodbye from Michaela. Yeah, thank you, Mark. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. 
Test Design and Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Mark Winteringham. Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.